Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. FOMO. That, again, is a tribute to my mom who gave me the greatest gift that I ever got in my life, which was permission to dream. She did not use those words. What she said, Patrick, was, son, you can do or be anything. And it's also important that I share with you what she did not say. She did not say that you could have anything. She did not say that you could buy anything. She did not say that you're guaranteed a shirt owed or entitled to anything. She said you could do or be anything. And for me, Patrick, again, whoa, if you could do or be anything, all this other stuff will come. That's Chris Gardner, author of Permission to Dream and the Pursuit of Happiness. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. Hey there, FOMO Sapiens. I have a very special episode of the show today because I have as my guest a kind of a legendary person, uh, Chris Gardner. If you've seen the movie The Pursuit of Happiness and you saw Will Smith in there, I always I always thought Will Smith, had, I don't know, come up with that persona, but it's based on Chris and that laugh that he does. When you're talking to Chris, you're sort of like, wait, is he doing Will Smith? No, it's Will Smith was doing him and that laugh, which you'll hear through this episode. It's amazing. And he's just a really inspirational guy. He's preparing us for the next phase of life post-pandemic because he's talking about getting back to dreaming. Now, I'm sure you've heard of Chris's movies, but let me tell you his story a little bit. Chris is an entrepreneur. He's an international best-selling author and award-winning film producer. And he had this incredible journey where basically he was homeless and then ended up starting his own financial firm in New York City. And he was, you know, he had a child and there was really tough times and he grew up in a tough situation. And he made this life, which has become, I mean, it's cinematic, isn't it? <laughs> the book, The Pursuit of Happiness, which is his autobiography, became a New York Times number one bestseller and translated into six dialects of Chinese, is what I read, which is, it's a lot of dialects of Chinese. He is also, of course, as we know, the inspiration for The Pursuit of Happiness, which, uh, if you remember, Will Smith received Golden Globe, Screen Actors Guild, and Academy Award nominations for his performance. Chris also made a movie about his dear friend, Maya Angelou. So Chris is just, he's doing it all. Now, I, I love the fact that he came on the show. I was really honored to have him on, and I just found him hilarious. I got on I got on early, actually, because I, he just seems like the kind of guy who'd show up early, and he was there before me, and I just loved it. And then he also, he was listening to Miles Davis the whole time in the background. You might even be able to hear it, and he just said, like, I'm not turning that off. So I have no conditions except that I will not turn off my Miles Davis, which is fine by me. So I support that. Now... I do have one little ask for you, which is to please share this episode with somebody who needs a little inspiration. 
My word for this year has been momentum, restarting, because we all lost momentum last year, didn't we? And so this episode is really about getting the dreams back into your head. It's about getting blank done, GSD. And Chris is, he's the king at GSD. I just, I mean, the man has done it all. So if you could share it with somebody who needs a little inspiration, I'd be so grateful. Thanks. All right, that done, we're going to head off to the interview. And having Chris, of course, on the podcast, I just, you know, I love to ask this. So I kind of, it's kind of like I asked Stacy of Stacy's Pita Chips, sort of like, do you ever get sick of seeing your chips in a grocery store? And as you remember, she said, no, she still loves it. So I decided to ask Chris something similar. I decided to start our interview by asking him, how many times have you seen The Pursuit of Happiness? I don't know exactly I've never seen it from beginning to end except one time. Really? You have an experience like that. I would be at the premieres around the world with Will Smith. And at some point in time, I couldn't, I couldn't take it because when you see the movie, you're seeing that one moment the director tried to capture that day. When I see it, I see the whole day. So it's like I'm watching it in 3D. But a direct answer to your, your question is, the first time I saw the film in its entirety was in Italy, and I had to watch it in Italian. Wow. Our director, Gabriel Muccino, is from Milan, uh, from Roma, Italy. I went to the premiere at Rome, great big to-do, and I sat down next to this little old lady who didn't know me. I didn't know her. Three minutes into the film, Patrick, she grabbed my hand. And when she grabbed my hand, Patrick, I had to sit there the whole time and watch the whole movie in Italian. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I, you know what? I never thought about it. It's what, what you say is, is interesting. It's, it's right. Like if I had, a, I was thinking, you know, as I was preparing these questions, like if I had a movie made about me, I'd have it playing on loop. And then when you came in my house, just like 24 hours a day, but when it's a movie that is about tough times and, you know, some of the stuff that, like, is painful to remember, I can understand why you wouldn't have it playing on loop in the front room. Of your, you you your don't house. have to, because you were there. Yeah. And you saw everything else that was happening. Yes, yeah. sir. All right, so on this show, we talk a lot about making decisions, and you made three really important decisions early in your life that have driven you forward ever since. So I'd love it if you could just share those three decisions with us. Briefly. And thank you for having me, by the way. Thanks for being here. I share these decisions as part of the most important work I've ever done in my life right now. I'm doing a tour that's going to have me speak at a thousand schools all across America. Mm -hmm. And when I'm with young people, I talk about the three most important decisions I ever made in my life, all of which I made, Patrick, at their age or younger. Number one, growing up without a father, I made the decision. When I grow up, become a man, and have children, my children are going to know who their father is. That singularly is the most important decision that I ever made in my life because that didn't just change my life. That changed the lives of my yet-to-have-been-born children and my grandchild. Number two, I made up my mind I was going to become world-class at whatever I did with my life. Not good at it, not pretty good at it, but world-class at it. And number three, Patrick, I made the decision I was going to do something that was bigger than what I saw every day. Okay? 
And I was able to make all three of those decisions because I got the greatest gift I ever got in my life, which was permission to dream. I had a mother who told me every day, son, you could do or be anything. And I believed it. I'm curious, you know, you, you lay these out and they are really compelling. When I read those, they, they resonated with me. And I wonder at the time, did you even realize that you had made these, consciously made these decisions? Were these ingrained in you? Did you write it down? Like, how did that work? No, I knew. Mm -hmm. I knew. Mm -hmm. When you're a five-year-old kid and somebody puts a shotgun right here and tells you that they are not your father, mm -hmm. you will make a decision that will stay with you the rest of your life. Number two, man, I made up my mind as a young guy. I didn't want to do anything that I saw all these other people doing. I wanted to do something else. I made in my mind, I wanted to become Miles Davis. Now, mom said I could be anybody. I chose Miles Davis. I played trumpet for nine years, man. And I got pretty good. But I got to a point where I, my mother had to sit me down and say to me, son, you're pretty good with that thing, but you can't be Miles Davis. There's only one, and he's got that job. <laughs> and I had to look at the facts. The facts were, at 18 years of age, Miles Davis was in New York City playing with Quincy Jones and Dizzy Gillespie. At the same age, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, playing with some boys named Pookie and Ray Ray. <laughs> 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 hey, we were good, but Patrick, it wasn't going to happen. But it was also about this time, talking about conscious decisions. About this time, sir, I heard Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speak one night. Matter of fact, it was the last speech he ever made in his life. He was assassinated the very next day. He was talking to municipal employees, garbage men down in Memphis, Tennessee. And his message to those men that night was, whatever you're going to do with your life, you should seek to become the best at it. I believe his exact words were, if you're going to be a garbage man, be the best garbage man and sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. And right there, consciously, I made the second most important decision I ever made in my life, which was I was going to become world class at whatever I did. So you wanted to be world class and you did it. You fought your way into a business career and it's in your movie. It's in your book. So pe people can look that up. I want to talk about that first day you launched your own brokerage. It was on October 19th, 1987, Black Monday. Now that that story, when I read it, I'll tell you in a minute why, but it really, I was like, wow. Tell people about that day and the pivot that you needed to make based on what happened. Matt, let me tell you something. <clears throat> when you register or attempt to get registered, and join the exchange and all the documents you have to fill out for the Securities Exchange Commission. You turn those documents in and they send you back a letter and they say, we got 45 days to review all of these documents. And on this date, if everything is fine, you will be officially in business. I got a letter back saying, your first day in business will be October 19th, 1987. Now, I'm going around telling everybody, what a great day. Oh, man, something exciting is going to happen. I can't tell you what it is because I'm keeping my personal goals and ambitions to myself. 
But Patrick, I knew on this day, man, that's poof. It's go time. I had no idea. I'm standing on the floor, attempting to trade my own account, Chicago Board Options Exchange. Now, New York, we trade stocks. You want to trade options or futures or commodities, you're in Chicago. I'm on the floor of the Chicago Board Options Exchange, and all of a sudden, I'm looking around, and guys who were more experienced, better capitalized, smarter than me, are getting carried off the field on a stretcher. And I knew right there, whoa, I don't want to do this. So I made the hard pivot from trying to trade my own account to working as a broker and helping institutions trade their accounts. That was a hard pivot. And I got to tell you, Patrick, that was the smartest thing I ever did in my life. It reminded me, the reason I, I brought that up is because I love the pivot because I, you know, I, first of all, I remember Black, Black Monday because I, I was a kid and I was, we played that stock market game. We had the stock market game at school and we traded fake money. And I had a lot of IBM and my IBM crashed and I cried salty tears. I remember it so well. <laughs> it was like, really, I was like, and then as I became an adult, one thing that I'll, I'll share with you and, and many listeners know is. In 2008, I was working at a division of AIG. When AIG was nationalized, my stock fell 97%. And when that happened, it hit me hard. I wasn't ready to pivot. I ended up, you know, kind of, I was very sick for a while from all the stress. And it took me a while to figure out my pivot. Your pivot was fast. Mine was slow. And what I love about your book and why I was so excited to talk to you today is because sometimes when something bad happens to us, we forget how to dream. And this is a book about being ready. And we're in a moment right now when I think a lot of people felt like they couldn't dream for the last year or so. Let's talk about, you call the book permission to dream. Specifically, you, in the word permission, I know you chose it carefully. Why did you choose that title? Tudo bem, meus queridos fomo sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. That, again, is a tribute to my mom, who gave me the greatest gift that I ever got in my life, which was permission to dream. She did not use those words. What she said, Patrick, was, son, you can do or be anything. And it's also important that I share with you what she did not say. She did not say that you could have anything. She did not say that you could buy anything. She did not say that you're guaranteed a shirt owed or entitled to anything. She said you could do or be anything. And for me, Patrick, again, whoa, if you could do or be anything, 
all this other stuff will come. My mother said to me, son, you could do or be anything. That was permission to dream. And let me add this. I got to tell you a little bit about my mom. There was nothing in her past that indicated that she should one day say to her son, you could do or be anything. My mother was the daughter of a sharecropper, born and raised in the heart of Louisiana, 1930s, 1940s. Those were not the good old days by any stretch of the imagination. But for her, somewhere she found it within herself to tell me that you could do or be anything. Patrick, that was the generational transfer of a dream. And it's happening all over again right now. I gave that same permission to my children, but more importantly, I'm now in a position to give it to a whole new generation. So let's talk about how to make that happen. Because right now, you know, we've been through a lot, whether it is the pandemic, whether whether it is issues of racial equity. There is a lot in this country right now where people may have been, they may not feel like dreaming right now. They may have forgotten how to dream. You're going to talk to a thousand schools across the country. What are the, some of the messages that you want to impart that, you know, our listeners who may be feeling a little bit skeptical themselves can can draw upon as they look forward to the next year? Again, I talk about the three most important decisions that I ever made in my life, all of which I made at mm-hmm. these students' age or younger, okay? All of them. And you know what? So many of our children right now, young people, are having to make some major decisions in their lives right now. And also, I'm also living what I'm very comfortable calling, Patrick, this is my JFK moment. Now, I'm a little bit older than you, and I'll never forget hearing President John F. Kennedy's inauguration address as a little boy when he asked that immortal question of, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. This is that moment for me in my life. Sometimes in your life, you get a chance to know this is exactly where I'm supposed to be, exactly what I'm supposed to be doing at this point, at this time in my life. And it's not about me. And let me share something with you. I found this permission to dream. I had it renewed for me. After a life-changing experience, I lost the love of my life to brain cancer nine years ago. Holly and I were together for 20 years. I now know the greatest honor I ever got in my life was I got the honor of being her primary caregiver for the last four years of her life. And so many of the last conversations we were having, Patrick, she kept asking me the same question, which was, now that we can see how truly short life can be, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Now, that's a big question at that point, Patrick. That's not a rhetorical question. I could have just sat at my desk at Wall Street and wrote some more tickets, sold some more stock, chased some more deals. No, man, that's a big question. What are you going to do? And one day I found myself in my hometown, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, my old neighborhood, standing in front of the elementary school that I went to. And I saw the children coming and going out of the school doors, Patrick, and it dawned on me, wait a minute. Oprah Winfrey and I are the same age, same zodiac sign, and went to the same elementary school. 
How do we know the next Chris Gardner, or more importantly, the next Oprah Winfrey, is not coming and going out of these same school doors and public schools all across this country right now? The truth is, Patrick, they are. My job is to let them know that they can. And I've been challenged, Patrick, by some adults on this idea. Uh, adults ask, well, what are the odds of you or Oprah Winfrey ever happening again? I can't answer that question, Patrick, because I'm not focused on the odds. I'm focused on the evens. As in, even though, even if, even when, even where, even you, even me. This has been done before, sir. This is our turn. And we got this. And that, all that time I spent with young people all across the country, Patrick, let me tell you something. A lot of folks might be less than impressed with some of the players they've seen take the field recently. But let me tell you something, sir. In America, the bench is deep. (laughs) (laughs) The bench is deep, man, and they're coming. So that gives me tremendous hope for the future of this country. So I'm making a huge alternative investment in human capital. What do you say to people when... They talk about fear because I think a lot of people got in touch with fear over the last year. There was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people are, are, you know, even, even as, you know, things are going to come back to normal. Some people are still afraid, right? And it's hard to dream when you're scared. So how do you move past the fear to get to the place where you can dream big for the next phase of your life? You're making me think of my last conversation I had with my dear friend, Dr. Maya Angelou. We were speaking once about struggle. And I will never forget her saying to me, we have the people for this mountain. And we must all be mindful that there are people who came before us, who came up a steeper side of this mountain, carrying a bigger to heavier load with little to no opportunity, but they kept going forward, onward, and upward. And still I rise. This has been done before, sir. Now it's our turn. Yeah. It's- this has been done before. And to be here and to be a small part of it, Patrick, man, this is the most exciting part of my life. I'm supposed to be retired now. <laughs> Dude, I'm working harder than I ever worked in my life and loving every minute. Tell us a little bit about the book. You wrote the book as a story. It's based on a day out with your granddaughter, who we get to know in the book. She's awesome. And it takes us through pivotal moments in your life. When you thought about, I mean, you wrote, you wrote The Pursuit of Happiness. You, you know, you... Like And then you decide to do this new book. Why did you decide to do it that way? I had to. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you a little brief story. First of all, my granddaughter, you, you raised a, a subject you should not have raised because you do not have <laughs> enough time on this show. <laughs> you start me talking about my granddaughter. Man, you know what? A couple of things. Number one, back to my mom. My siblings and I were the first 
in my family that never picked cotton. My children, because I got the opportunity to work on Wall Street, became the first in my family to ever attend and graduate from colleges and universities. For my grandchild, there are no more first. There's only now and next. And this book was born on a day, Patrick. My granddaughter decided she wanted to learn how to play the harmonica. And she didn't just want a harmonica. She wanted the Ferrari <laughs> of harmonicas. <laughs> In her words, the Ferrari of harmonicas. And being who I am as a grandfather, okay, we're going to find it. Well, guess what? There are probably some places in nooks and crannies of New York City music stores that have been there forever that only professionals know about. Absolutely. Huh? If Keith Richards is in town and he needs guitar strings, he's only going to this place. Okay? We found this store on the wrong side of Chicago in the worst snowstorm in history, and we got stuck without transportation. As we're starting to walk home, my granddaughter looks up at me and she says, Papa, what's the difference between a dream and a plan? Whoa. And this whole conversation starts because I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, what if this is the last conversation that you're ever going to have with your child? What do you want her to know about where we're from, the world we're in, and where we're going? that you want her to hear from you. And this is before COVID. All of this is happening before COVID, okay? This is four years ago. And let me say something else, Patrick, very important. We made the decision, the book was ready to go last year. We made the conscious decision, no, we're not gonna release this book, this light, this positivity into the toxicity of 2020. It would have gotten no airspace, none, okay? But backing up a little bit again about uh, the future, my granddaughter. Man, one day this little girl said to me, Papa, I want to see what it feels like to be president of the United States. So I want you to call the president and tell him I'm coming to the White House. And I'm going to take a picture sitting at the big desk. Okay. <laughs> Let me see if I got this right. <laughs> you want me to call the president of the United States <laughs> and tell him my seven-year-old granddaughter wants to come take a picture sitting at his desk. Uh, tell him I'm seven and a half. Well, all right. The cool thing about getting to your 60s, Patrick, is you're old enough to know better, but you're still young enough to say, well, why not? So I make the call. I get a call back. And before you know it, there's my granddaughter sitting at the desk of President Barack Obama. Sitting there taking a picture. Because she had a dream. She wanted to know what it felt like. This is my way of not just saying the words, but showing her this is what permission to dream feels like. And you know the crazy thing, man? We wrap it up and we get ready to leave. And the president of the United States says to my granddaughter, 
well, you know what? If you do real good in school and you do everything your papa says, in about 30 years, this <laughs> office awesome. could be yours. And right there, right there, she said to him, no, it's 28 and a half because I'm seven <laughs> and a half years old. <laughs> Man, I am creating a monster. But you know what? Again, that's what gives me such tremendous hope for the future, man. And let me say one more thing, Patrick, if I can, not to take a lot of your time, but this to your point about mm-hmm. some of us who are a little bit older, who've been down the road a little bit, and who might feel like, oh, man, I can't. It will never happen. I'm too old. Yeah. Well, you know what? I always talk to folks about a guy named Ray Kroc. That name might not ring a bell, but he started a little company called McDonald's. He started that at 56 years of age. Another guy named John Pimbleton. Name might not ring a bell, but I bet you consumed his product. He created something called Coca-Cola when he was 58. Harlan Sanders, also known as the Colonel, didn't sell his first piece of chicken until he was 62. So how old is too old? Okay, let's take that off the table. All right, this has been done before, sir. But now it's our turn. You end the book with this chapter that I really love because anybody can follow this Mm. advice and begin to do exactly what you're telling Mm. us to do. You say, and this is the epilogue, it's brush your teeth and change your life in two days. So to end the interview, I'd love for you to give us that methodology of how we can, in two days, brushing our teeth, which is good. You got to brush your teeth. We can change our lives. You know what? That started off as a homework assignment that I gave to high school, middle school students all across the country. But again, it's something we all do. And when you do it, let's back up for a second. In the film, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you saw the film, The Pursuit of Happiness. I meet this guy driving this red Ferrari, and I go up to him, and I ask two questions. What do you do, and how do you do that? Well, there's a new two questions. And while you're looking at that person in the mirror, while you're brushing your teeth, ask yourself, if I could walk through a door tomorrow morning and be doing anything in the world, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would it smell like? What would it taste like? Engage all of your senses. And then ask yourself the second question. What did I do today to make tomorrow happen? Did I move the dial one notch? Did I take one baby step towards what it is I say I really want to do? And the answer is on you. Did I move? The notch, again, Patrick, think about that. Just one notch. Did I take one baby step? And if the answer is no, then that's not really what you want to do. So you gotta gotta you gotta, Well, you know, the, what I thought about when I read this chapter, because I love this, and this is, it's like you can do this. Everybody can do this. Is I used to live in Brazil, and people in Brazil brush their teeth like eight times a day. So if you're a Brazilian... You're, you're going to have a lot of progress in your life because if you do this every time you brush your teeth, they're, they're very good about oral hygiene for some reason. But uh, this is something everybody can do. So Chris, I want to thank you so much for being here. The, if we want to check out your stuff, we can go to chrisgardnermedia.com and the name of the book is Permission to Dream. Chris Gardner, thanks a lot for being here.
No, brother. Thank you, Patrick. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in New York City. See you in New York, baby. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.